Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Well, go with me to Acts chapter 20 because I want to set the stage for Paul's top secret strategy. Acts chapter 20, I want to set the stage for the Apostle Paul's top secret strategy. By this point of Acts chapter 20, Paul has been in ministry for a number of years and decades and has had large successes. He's already completed, or he's in the midst of completing his third missionary journey. He has started churches in what we would call modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was called Asia Minor. He has started churches in Greece. He has started churches in other places, and he's gone back to visit these churches and strengthen these churches, as well as starting churches, overseeing churches, and ministering churches in different places throughout the Middle East. And so when we get to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 1, and after the uproar were ceased, the uproar in Ephesus, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, he had given them much exhortation. He came into Greece and there abode three months. Now, this is very important. We'll get to why this verse three is really important later. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was supposed to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. Let's skip down to verse 17. Because what we see here is Paul goes to Troy, ministers there all night. He raises someone from the dead. He imparts the believers who were there. So he travels some more. Let's skip down to verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I've been with you all at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So notice this language Paul is saying. He says, I know I'm going back to Jerusalem. He uses this descriptive language, bound in the spirit. He says, I got to go there. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I'm there, but this is where I'm heading. Now let's go a little bit further. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or await me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto me or dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there, but I'm bound in the spirit of Jerusalem. And every city I go to and every meeting I go in, the Holy Ghost lets me know that this bonds 
and afflictions, pressure-filled circumstances, wait for me in Jerusalem. Think about this, that every time you go to church, the message is when you get to this city, there's going to be pressure, there's going to be trouble, and someone's going to arrest you. That's not that encouraging to a lot of people. But especially if you're the guest speaker, that every time there's a move of the Spirit, an utterance gift, or the other man and woman of God there wants to share something with you, it's about here is what's waiting for you in Jerusalem. Most of us would have said, well, guess what? I'm not going to Jerusalem. But as I shared at the beginning, Paul had a top secret strategy. And we're going to see how the Holy Ghost was bearing witness or giving evidence in cities as we keep going further. And so he finishes his minister's conference here in Miletus to the elders or the pastors of Ephesus. Skip down to verse 38. And they were sorry, most of all, for the words which he spake, because he told them that they wouldn't see his face anymore. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Let's look at chapter 21, but verse 4. It's an example of the Holy Ghost witnessing or giving evidence in all the cities. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, when people look at this verse, they will see the Holy Ghost did not want Paul to go to Jerusalem. But that, when we look at what we already saw in chapter 20, that's not what the Holy Ghost was saying. The Holy Ghost was saying, when you get to Jerusalem, it's about to be tough. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be afflictions. There's going to be bonds. So what does this verse mean? said, through the Spirit. Notice it didn't say the Holy Spirit said. It didn't say thus saved the Holy Ghost. We see those examples throughout the book of Acts. We don't even see the phrase the Holy Ghost bade me to go or he commanded me to go. We don't see this. It says they said through the Spirit. So we look at this word through, this word dia in the Greek, it means on account of. This word through means on account of or because of. One translation even says, because of impressions made by the Spirit. So these disciples had the witness of the Holy Ghost in them that there is trouble waiting for Paul and Jerusalem. And they do exactly what you would have done. Hey, don't go. We all sense in our hearts, we all sense in our spirits that there is drama waiting for you at Jerusalem. So please, Paul, we love you, bro. Please, 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 don't go. They've picked it up in the spirit that trouble's ahead of Paul if he goes to Jerusalem. So they say, don't go. Skip down to verse 8. Paul's in another city by this point, still traveling toward Jerusalem. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven. We read about the seven in Acts chapter 6. And abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And when, as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. I could get into the difference of the gift of prophecy versus the office of prophet, but I will do that tonight. So here comes a prophet named Agabus. Now, we've seen him earlier in the book of Acts. We've seen his prophecies come true earlier 
in the book of Acts. This is now decades, years later. He is seasoned in his office, seasoned in his ministry. And he comes and says, he took Paul's girl, he took Paul's belt, and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now we have a thus saith the Holy Ghost. Before we have the Holy Ghost giving evidence to people's hearts, bearing witnesses of people's hearts, here's what's coming. And we have people's responses to the evidence or the witness of the Holy Ghost saying, Paul, just don't do it. Just don't go. And now we have a specific word from the Holy Ghost spoken through one of his prophets saying, this is what is waiting for you at Jerusalem. The Jews specifically at Jerusalem will bind you and deliver you into the hands of the Gentiles. And notice what Luke says. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up at Jerusalem. Think about it. These are people. Read the Bible like you read anything else. These are actually people. They love Paul. Paul was important to them. Paul had brought many of them into the kingdom of God. Paul was spiritual father to so many of them. Paul was pastor to so many of them. Paul was friend to so many of them. And now a seasoned prophet that they trust hears from God comes out of nowhere from another city, comes to that house with a message from God saying, thus saith the Holy Ghost. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's waiting for you. And he gives a dramatic flair to it. He picks up his belt and ties his hands and feet and says, thus saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So they do exactly what you would do. They begged him, please stop going to Jerusalem. This has been going on for weeks, maybe months now. Churches, believers begging Paul, please, 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 Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered and says, why are you weeping? What do, you, what do you mean you to weep and to break my heart? So this is not just a casual asking. They are begging him. They are crying. They are weeping. Imagine this whole, this whole fellowship had gotten together. They've been together for a number of days. There's been ministry of the Holy Ghost. There's been prophecy. There's been encouragement, fellowship. They're having a good time. And it has slipped. Now this whole crew is weeping and begging Paul, please, please. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, why are you weeping? You're breaking my heart. For I'm not ready just to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we stopped saying, the will of the Lord be done. They said, we can't do anything else. We've begged this dude with all we have. He cannot be persuaded. So they simply said, the will of of the Lord be done. But unbeknownst to them, Paul had a top secret strategy. As he told the church at Miletus, because it's been going on for a number of weeks, maybe months, maybe longer, 
he told that minister's conference in Miletus that the Holy Ghost is witnessing that bonds and trouble await me in Jerusalem. And he said, I don't know what else is going to happen, but I know what's coming. And so he sensed it. And then all the other churches sense it. But Paul had a top-secret strategy. He wasn't just rushing in this. You know, I've been in different Bible schools and heard different teachers and preachers think, well, did Paul miss it? Or did Paul just ignore the warning of the Holy Ghost? What's going on here? But Paul had a top-secret strategy that is clearly laid out in the Scriptures. Go back to chapter 20, verse 23. I'll tell you why that's important now. Acts chapter 20, verse 3. And there, where Paul came into Greece, abode there three months. So where was he staying in Greece? Corinth. He's in Corinth right now. He had promised the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, that he would come and spend time with them again. So he's staying there with them for three months, ministering to the Corinthians. But while he's ministering to the Corinthians, he writes a letter to the church at Rome. So let's look at what he said. Go to Romans chapter 1. And we'll look at Paul's top secret strategy. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now one of the things when you, we read the epistles, because this is a true in so many cases of these letters, these epistles, that Paul writes to churches he founded but not the case in the book of Romans or the epistle to the Romans, the letter to the Romans. Paul did not found this church. Paul has not been there yet. Paul has never preached at this church. He hasn't been to Rome yet. He hasn't. This church was started. We don't know exactly who started it. It could have been started by believers who got filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and they went back to Rome. We're not exactly sure who started it. But Paul, we know, did not start it. And we see in verse 7, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Whoa, no, notice about this. Notice, pay attention. Paul is writing to the church at Rome and notice what he says about them in his introduction. Your faith is talked about all around the world. So one of the things Paul knew about this church at Rome was they were a faith-filled church. People talk about the faith of the believers in Rome. Notice that. He says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests. If by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. So he prays for them all the time. But notice something he prays. Father, I want to go see them. I want to be there in person. I want to preach to them. He's making this request. It is a frequent request of Paul. God, let me go preach to the church at Rome. Notice his great desire of his heart. And he explains why. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. You'll be built up, you'll be strengthened. That is, that you may be comforted together, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. 
Now, I would not have you ignorant or uninformed, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you. I wanted to come to you, but I was led hitherto. That's old King James was, I was hindered. I was prevented. He said, I wanted to come to you that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Then we get to the famous scripture, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, go to chapter 15 as he begins to close this amazing book. Still looking at Paul's top secret strategy. Romans chapter 15. Verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound to overflow in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Notice Paul's high regard for this church. He already says your faith is talk. Everybody's talking about your faith. And you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to also admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God. You know, normally he would write this boldly to his spiritual children. But the church at Rome wasn't his spiritual children. He didn't start that church. He didn't have any authority over them. But he's writing to them, and he's writing them in a bold way. He says, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient both by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem round about El I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, now I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, quoting Isaiah, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they shall, that have not heard shall understand, for which cause I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, one translation says it this way, but now I have finished my work in these regions. And after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. Remember, where is he right now? He's in Corinth. He's in Greece. He's heading back to Jerusalem. And he's saying, I have finished my work in these parts. So what are these parts? It's modern-day Turkey. It's parts of the Middle East, south of Turkey. It's Greece. It's Macedonia. These are the places he's been ministering in from the time he departed Antioch originally, up into where we are now in Acts chapter 20 when he's writing. He said, I finished my work in these parts. Verse 24, another translation says, I plan to, he said, I'm eager to visit you. Then it says, verse 24, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. 
I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I enjoyed your company for a while. He says, I'm planning to come to you and I'm going to spend some time with you. And after I leave you, after we've had this great time together, I want you to help me reach Spain. In other words, I want you to help me send me on my way. I want you to give to the journey so I can go preach in Spain afterwards. Now look what Paul says next in verse 25, going back to the King James. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for as pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Now you hear a lot about that when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. It has pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles be made partakers of their spiritual things, their duties also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. So I'll come to Rome, then I'll go to Spain. And I am sure when I'm coming to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. We're still getting to Paul's top secret strategy. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Pause. Strive. When you have to strive, that means you got to work. When you have to strive, you got to work. Another word for strive is struggle. He said, I need you to work hard and struggle with me in prayer to God. So he's about to give them a prayer project. That's not a quick Lord bless Paul prayer. Or Lord protect Paul today prayer. No. He's asking them to engage in his struggle with him. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may be with you refreshed. So Paul writes to this church at Rome that is known for their faith, that as he calls full of goodness, and knowledge and able to admonish one another. He gives them this prayer project. I need you to strive together with me in prayer for these four things. Look at these four prayer points. Number one, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Number two, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Number three, that I may come unto you by the, with joy by the will of God. And number four, and may be with you refreshed. Once again, these four points. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. That my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. And may with you be refreshed. So Paul writes to this church he's never been to but has so much confidence in and gives them an important prayer assignment, which literally, as you're about to see, his life hung upon. Let's go back to Acts 21. So now we know something that was in Paul's mind, in his heart, because we see this letter he wrote just weeks and months before he got to Caesarea and Agabus prophesied what he prophesied. So Acts 21. Let's watch these things unfold. 
as we begin to bring this to a close. Acts 21, verse 15. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. And there are with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them the nation of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So that's prayer point number two. Check. Notice how it plays out. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and the, all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So the number two prayer point, check. Because when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And said unto them, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. And they are all zealous of the law. Here's the trouble we're about to get into. Verse 21. And they are informed of you that you teach all the Jews which are among the Gentiles who forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, need to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that you are come. Do therefore this that we say to you. We have four men which have a vow on them. Take, take them, purify yourself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads. And all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help, this is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and of the law. And this place, and further brought Greeks also to this temple, and has polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. Let's pause here for a second. Remember what Agabus prophesied. He said the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his girdle and hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, I submit to you that before the Gentile soldiers ever show up, Paul has already been bound. You must say, what? A riot's going on. They're about to stomp Paul. They're beating Paul. That's true. But the Jewish believers bound Paul with their legal customs. Customs that, while it may not be sin to do, it no longer applied to them. Why would Paul have to go through purification rites? when the blood of Jesus has already purified him. Why do you have to pay for the vow of those four? This was the decision of those at Jerusalem. They received his ministry, but they bound him with their legal requirements of a law, which was not the law they are to follow. They are believers now, and they're to call, called to follow the law of the Spirit, the law of love. But they put these restrictions on Paul. 
and they send him to the temple. And Paul follows along with what they said. And while he's in temple, there are Jews from Ephesus who remember Paul from his years of ministry in Ephesus, effective ministry. And they see him and they suppose that the Gentile he was with in the city earlier must be in the temple too. So they start a riot. Notice what happens in verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left the beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he was commanding him to be carried into the castle. I want you to notice something here. You have a riot going on. But that's not the only thing that's going on. You say, well, what else is going on? A church at Rome was praying. Because Paul said, point number one, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And those who stirred up the riot and were carrying out the riot were part of number one. They did not believe. And Paul's request was that I may be delivered from them. And so when they shut the door, locked the door as a mob to kill Paul, it just so happened that the soldiers here and were able to make it through the crowd, and the crowd disperses. And they're able to carry Paul. They couldn't even walk him out. They carried Paul into the castle. And then as you keep reading for the sake of time, I'll just summarize it. Paul asks the chief commander, hey, can I address the crowd? And when Paul stands up to address the crowd, the crowd gets quiet. When's the last time you saw a riot quiet down to talk to the per let the person talk who calls the riot? But when Paul said a certain thing they didn't like, they started up again. And when the chief commander was going to torture Paul, Paul had the wisdom enough to say that, hey, is it legal for you to do this because I'm a Roman? Paul used his rights as a Roman citizen to advance the cause of the kingdom. And then a long story happens that Paul is kept safe. This commander is trying to figure out what to do. And you'll go over the next several chapters, this plot after plot after plot on Paul's life. But time and time and time again, he is delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. He gets to another city. Before the Sanhedrin council, he's delivered. Before Felix, he has a chance to present the gospel. Then he's in prison two years in Herod's judgment hall. But while he's there, he has a chance to share the gospel with the leader of the area. But I want you to notice that he's been delivered, number one. It's pretty much fulfilled now. Number two has been fulfilled. But number three and four hasn't happened yet. But the church at Rome had not stopped praying. Too often we stop praying too soon. Yes. They got him out of the riot. They caused the ministry to be received by believers. But now Paul is in prison in Herod's judgment hall. 
It may not have been a bad place to be in prison, but he's stuck there for two years. Imagine Paul, who's used to going wherever he wanted and preaching in all these different places, is now stuck in one place, imprisoned for two years. But there was a church that was praying. And then another leader comes into office. And Paul preached the gospel before Agrippa and Bernice and Festus. Paul appeals to Caesar, and the government leader says, well, if you appeal to Caesar, to Rome, you must go. Where Paul had been trying to get to this whole time. So you might think, well, this, it's done. Most of us say, hey, Paul is heading to Rome. We can stop praying. But as Paul gets on the boat ride, eventually there's a shipwreck. And the thing is, they, don't, they can't text. They don't see Facebook updates saying, hey, so-and-so's Mark safe from shipwreck. They don't have that. They don't see news reports. They don't know what's going on. But I tell you, a praying church at Rome helped Paul stay safe and helped all those on that ship stay safe, helped them all make it to shore, that when they got to shore, a snake jumped out and bit Paul on the arm, and he shook it off into the fire unharmed. There was a praying church. When Paul went in and laid hands on the, the leader of the island's father, and he was healed, there was a praying church. When there was a revival that broke out on the island, there was a praying church at Rome. When another ship arrived, which was much better to take Paul and all the things he had been blessed with to Rome, there was a praying church. And when he arrived in Rome, there was a praying church. And go to Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Acts 28, verse 30. There was a praying church. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. So Paul arrives at Rome and rents his own place. And some scholars said not only did he rent his own place, he had enough money to be able to rent all the other stuff he needed. So he had hired people to cook for him and take care of him while he's staying in Rome. Well, where did he get that money from when he was in Malta? It says they loaded him down with the fanciest garments and a whole lot of gold. How did this breakthrough happen for this man? There was a praying church. You see, Paul's top secret strategy was a church that would strive together with him in prayer and pray him through to his destination. Paul's top secret strategy was a church that would strive together with him in prayer and pray him through to his destination. So although he knew trouble was ahead, conflict was ahead, pressure was ahead, attack of the enemy was ahead, he knew he was supposed to get to Rome. So he reached out to a church that was known for their faith. He reached out to a church that he knew could pray and would pray and gave them these four requests, and it came to pass. Paul was released after those two years, ended up ministering in other places, wrote more letters, lived another four to five years, 
before he was finally martyred for the sake of the gospel. But notice everything Paul requested happened because of a church that would work with him in prayer. Imagine what would happen if we were that church. That although this took Paul three years to get to Rome, it wasn't a three-day prayer meeting. Oh, it wasn't weeks. It wasn't months. Think about this. This church was praying consistently about these four things for three years. Who knew what updates they would receive unless they had updates from the Spirit of God as they were praying? Yet they kept at it and kept at it in the Spirit. It's interesting to me that Paul wrote to these believers in Romans chapter 8, since we know what prayer requests he's going to ask them at the end, that he says, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise or in the same way, the Spirit also helps our infirmities or our weaknesses or our limitations. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. So you can't just throw 28 in there without connecting to the praying and the Holy Ghost. To this praying church. That they had these three years of praying in the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to make intercession through them concerning these four points. And Paul made it safely to Rome and accomplished his mission and went onward to do what God had called him to do. But any time, they could have stopped praying. And the ministry and the effectiveness of Paul could have been cut short. But Paul's top secret strategy, which some may call very risky, proved to be very successful. One, I challenge us to be that people that someone could call us, hey, I need you guys to pray about this for me. And then have such confidence that because faith is praying, that no matter what's in front of me, I know it's going to turn and work out for my good because this church is praying. Not just to have the confidence of people, but also to have the results. That is not just the prayer text. It's not just the preachers. It's not just the worship leaders. But it's the church at large that give themselves to prayer. And it doesn't mean you have a nightly prayer meeting, even though that can work as well. That's not what it means. But it's all of us in our individual time of prayer. And then our corporate times of prayer, whether it's online, on the phone, or in person, being praying people. So you pray whenever you start your day. Some of you are early people. You wake up at 4. Some of you said 4. Ooh, I wake up at 9. Or I wake up at 11 because of you work the night shift. Whenever you start your day, once you start your day with prayer, and you don't just pray for you, you're for no more, but you pray for your church family. And you pray for different requests that have been brought to you. You pray for more people to be reached through Austell, Marietta, Fayetteville, Gwinnett, and online. You pray for the will of God to come to pass and these different things. And then you yield yourself and you pray in the Holy Ghost. And you become consistent people of prayer. We'll see more of what we talked about this past Sunday, how prayer is like a lance 
lands, and it takes down enemies from afar. We'll talk about this coming Sunday, how it will cause demonic powers to fall from their seat of authority. This is a battle strategy from heaven. It's how you win life's battles. It's by being a praying person, a prayer. Not just someone who just throws up prayers when it's time to eat, prays when it's church time, but you continually have a lifestyle of prayer. That whether your time of intercession is in the morning or at night, or even if it's while you cook your food, whether it's while you're driving and stuck in traffic, but you find time to give yourself to prayer, to pray about these things and move things forward in prayer, we can get these same type of results because you have to understand everything works seed time and harvest and if you're willing to give yourself in prayer for the sake of your church and for the sake of others there will be a harvest for you of someone else giving themselves in prayer for the sake of you and the sake of things that matter to you and you'll find at random times god will just outright bless you like whoa where did that came from he said you remember when you took that time just to pray for others i just I got this for you. I just wanted to bless you. You know, you study at what Jesus said in the Gospels that you pray in a secret, God will reward you openly. That I encourage you that if you want to be a person that experiences the winning and victory that we, that's available for us, that if you want to win in everyday life, you want to win life's battles, you need to be a person of prayer that goes beyond just praying for you and yours and no more, but praying for your church family and yielding yourself in prayer, especially in the spirit, and giving time of just praying in the spirit on a regular basis so God can pray things out through you. As you heard me share on Sunday, there's two sides of prayer, side of prayer where you're just communicating with God, sometimes just fellowshipping with him, sometimes requesting things of him, and other times where you're partnering with God through praying, and you're praying out things like Paul requested of this church, or you're praying out what we saw in Romans 8, 26, how the Holy Ghost helps us, when we looked at that word on Sunday, how he takes hold together with us against what we're praying concerning. We have to be those people if we want to see the victory God has for us. So that's my challenge for you, to become that person so we can become that people, so we can see what God wants to be done in Austell, in Marietta, in Fayetteville, in Gwinnett, in all the cities and places he sends us, and throughout Georgia, and the territories he's assigned unto us. We must be those people. So I encourage you over these next few days, give yourself to pray, to prayer. And on Sunday, whether you're coming in Austell and Fayetteville and online, come in a heart and attitude of prayer that as we cover these topics, what we're gonna share about, that whenever we get to pray, whether it's at the beginning or the end, whatever the Holy Ghost says to do, that things will change and powers will fall, and we'll see victories wrought, not just in our lives, but in our community. Because the victory is ours. Victory is a gift from our Father, but we must show up on the battlefield and fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word, for this encouragement, for this call. Help us become these people. Help us become this praying church that can do business with you 
that can cause things to change. Help us not just be hearers of this word, but be doers of this word so we can be blessed in our doing. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Yeah, some of you, before you go to bed, you need to take some extra time just to pray tonight. And don't come with an agenda. We're going to pray for all 100 things. Just come in before God with no agenda and just pray in the Holy Ghost. Whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, maybe it's a whole hour. And you just pray. And if God wakes you up in the middle of the night, instead of just saying, oh, I'm just going to roll over or just go do something else, ask the Lord if there's someone you should pray for. If you don't hear any direct response in your heart, just pray in the Holy Spirit till you fall back to sleep. It's important. And it will minister great change on earth. Some you'll physically see the results of, and some you'll hear about when you get to heaven. But these are the people we must be so we can see the victory God has for us. Hallelujah. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.